Welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. City on a Hill is a Catholic young adult community located in the greater Kansas City area with a mission to inspire and form the young adult generation in their pursuit of sainthood. In each episode, we feature a young adult who will share their story of encountering Christ, some specific ways they are personally pursuing sainthood, and how they live on mission here in Kansas City. We are grateful you've decided to tap into our community and hope that you feel inspired on your personal pursuit of sainthood. Thanks for listening in, and here are your hosts. Welcome back to another episode of the City on a Hill podcast. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly, host of the podcast, and happy to welcome on the show today, Miss Allie Fries. Allie, welcome. Thanks, Father. Happy to be here. Great. And also co-hosting today. Ms. Taylor Downey. Welcome, Taylor. Hello. Honored to be here. Although I think actually when this episode is released, you might have a different last name. Uh, that's actually true. Yeah. We could be close to that if not there. So. Great. Okay. Well, everybody listening, say a quick prayer for Taylor. Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, Allie, we're going to dive right in. So lay out for us your life story. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I am a cradle Catholic, Um, grew up going to mass on Sundays, prayed before meals. Um, My extended family would like pray the rosary all together over the phone um, most nights when I was growing up. So it was like, yeah, very much like an active part of my life. Um, I went to a Catholic elementary school through the eighth grade. Um, We had like edge and everything. And so it was just like I I was around it, like Catholicism, I guess, a lot Mm -hmm. um, growing up. I decided that I wanted to go to a public high school, like just wanted I don't know, AP classes and like just wanted to get out of my bubble a little bit. My elementary school was pretty small. Um, and so I did and it was like a medium size, but it felt like a very big, very large pond compared to my little Catholic school. Um, and that first semester of my freshman year of high school was pretty rough. Um, and so I, I went through like now what I can tell was my first depressive episode Um and it was, I, I just remember feeling so alone as like a 14 year old coming from like a pretty cozy, happy childhood. I had good friends in elementary school, middle school. Um, and so um, it was kind of a scary place to be. I told a couple of friends, but as fellow 14 year olds, they like didn't necessarily know how to handle that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I eventually like it got easier. Um, and so I'm going to skip a bunch of details, but just to like paint a picture. Um, fast forward to my freshman year of college. Um, I went to Mizzou and lots, I could say so many good things about college, but um, as that first semester, I kind of, it was the same kind of transition. I went from a safe, comfortable place into a really big pond. Um, kind of the theme here is that I really struggle with transitions um, and had another pretty like serious depressive episode um and again I I think like the word that comes to mind is just lonely like I remember being Mm -hmm. alone in my dorm room um I didn't really feel like I could lean on other friends um I hadn't gotten very involved in the Newman Center and I would like kind of try but um it can be a little bit overwhelming when there are like so many students especially at the student masses that know each other and I had I think one friend who was Catholic and so she went to mass with me some and then she stopped going and so I just was experiencing so much anxiety and eventually stopped going to mass mostly or sometimes I'd go um, to like the other parishes in the city um, 
or like the other masses that weren't the student mass, um, but eventually just like fell off. Like I could, I could not get myself to go um, and turn to like yoga and other like self-help things just to try to make myself feel better, um, which didn't work, was not super effective. <laughs> um, and so that kind of like off and on, like there were definitely good moments, but that kind of lasted through my sophomore year of college. So for about a full year and a half, I would say. Um, and then I eventually like realized like my prayer life was just empty. Um, I was not consistently going to mass yet at that point. Um, and so somehow randomly, I found myself on the phone um, with my youth minister from high school, hmm. who I don't even remember what we were talking about, but she, for some reason, asked me to chaperone a Steubenville trip hmm. Um and I remember feeling like so like ashamed at the idea. I was like, I am not worthy of doing this. But and it was it was a selfish decision, really. Like I knew it would be good for me, but I decided to do it. <laughs> um, and on that trip that summer, I don't know, like that praise and worship music, you know, was just like so moving. But essentially, like came to the realization that I needed community in my life, Catholic community specifically. I knew that I just wanted to like get back on board, I guess. Um, and so that summer, I prayed really hard for Catholic friends. Hmm. And so when I went back that fall, my junior year, um, kind of like out of the woodwork, like people just like came into my life. Um, hmm. So I like, for example, I was sitting next to a girl in a class one day, and she happened to have a Newman Center sticker on her water bottle. So I asked her about it. Um, and she invited me to something and I went at the Newman Center and then like she is one of my best friends from college now um, we did a lot together from pretty much that point on um, and I also volunteered like co-taught the preschool religious education class at the Newman Center that semester and got to know the children's ministry intern fairly well who is now my roommate and one of my best friends so there are like many stories like that where just people I don't know, it was just a, a, like blessings everywhere um, in the form of Catholic friends, women who just like who were so supportive um, and pushed me and invited me to things. And so um, at that point, I like started going to retreats with the Newman Center, went to seek and SLS, um, like grew in community there. Um, and so looking back, I can kind of see like I feel like at that point, God was kind of priming my heart um, in the sense of like from before then I had kind of like kept people at arm's length but I didn't really realize that I like because of that like that because that was the my pattern of relating to people like that was also my pattern of relating to God so like I had had these depressive episodes like sort of a theme um throughout my life but then I like didn't trust God enough to like ask him to heal that um and so essentially I kind of think like through these people um he opened me up to like going back to mass like I was able to like receive the sacraments at that point um was more open to that so essentially that was good from after college that kind of opened me up to be able to discern what I wanted to do um and so I joined the Jesuit volunteer corps for a year after college moved to San Diego um so the Jesuit volunteer corps JVC has four um core values and pretty much what everyone says is that the the hardest one, the most important one is community. And so I lived in intentional community with three other girls. Um, 
And it was sort of just like an extension of my experience in college of like being loved by people, like loving them in return, but in this really challenging way. Like community is a lot, like intentional community is a lot less like having roommates and more like more like closer to marriage on a scale if there was one um just how you have to be so conscientious of the people around you we lived on the same budget I like had to tell them where I was in a lot of ways just so there's not room for like secrets so you have to be so vulnerable with people um and my community had a lot of differences and still like even though we saw the world in different ways we certainly practiced our faiths in different ways um it was like how they were so receptive of me and then I like loved them so much in return. Like um, it just kind of shattered these walls that I had had between myself and other people. <laughs> and therefore like between myself, like that I had built up be- between myself and God. Um, and so that was kind of the pivotal year, I would say, JBC. Um, and God was so present throughout the whole thing. Um, like just like in sunsets and like so many like providential moments of like meeting people or um I really love the song dreams by the cranberries and like in every single like stressful moment throughout the year that song like some one time I was in a Honda dealership I was in an Uber another time like when I was really overwhelmed like that song would come on without fail um and so it was just like these more like emotional experiences of God like throughout the whole year um and so I think that's kind of like what I consider to be like my heart conversion. Mm. Um, and so after JVC, I moved back to Kansas City. Um, so many things about like myself were different. So I kind of expected things to be much like better. Um, and I got a really stressful job working in foster care um, and as, like essentially had like the worst depressive episode of my life at that point. I So um, officially got it. De- a diagnosis of depression, um, went on medication for a bit um, to help with it, eventually had to quit that job. So I guess that's all just to say, like, God had done so much work in my life and on my heart, and, like, it didn't take that away. Um, But so essentially, like, I I chose to leave that job. I do think, like, because of how he, like, there's something about knowing that you're loved by Jesus that, like, makes you love yourself and so like I had made some changes in my life of like simple things like I am worthy of getting enough sleep I should be eating foods that like I know are helpful for my mental health um a lot of like practices like that and like most importantly like I should show up in prayer for God and also it's instrumental in like me being well so um Anyways, I quit my job because it was not a good thing for my mental health. Um, And then it was March 2020, and so, like, COVID Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. And so I found myself living at home with my parents and no job um, and absolutely nothing to do. (laughs) So I just – I had, like, three months of just praying. Like, I would pray for hours a day. Like, I really – it was (laughs) a really fruitful time Um, and just, like, I was just so hungry for information at that point. So it was just listening to podcasts and reading books by saints and like praying the rosary like I have never prayed before. Um, And so like at that point, I felt like my, yeah, my head like intellectually kind of like caught up to this experience that I knew that I had had in JVC, but it kind of like solidified it. Um, And at that point was kind of when I like wanted to make my spiritual life less about the emotional like highs and sunsets and 
even like <laughs> how fun it is when dreams comes on and I'm like stressed out um and more about like um stability and discipline in my prayer life um and how like how much more fruitful that has been since then so I guess to summarize, um, like <laughs> I was really lonely and hurting and Jesus like slowly, really gently, like had, I had experiences that opened me up for him to just like shatter mm-hmm. those patterns, those walls that I had. Um, and now I feel like I'm so much more open to community, have people in my life that are really supportive. And at this point, like I can pray for big things like healing and it's just it's like easier to deal with the hard things now because god is good <laughs> that he is <laughs> wow. thank you for sharing that um i have a lot of questions okay um, <laughs> yeah i don't know if you have any you can start yeah. Go um for it. yeah i'm kind of curious Allie. you mentioned like okay b- before you got to high school you had good friends and stuff growing up mm-hmm. uh and then you go through this depressive episode when you're 14 and at at that point you begin kind of this it sounded like a trend of like keeping people at arm's length I think you said Mm -hmm. so I guess um I'm just kind of and and sort of like some of your story had a lot to do with like overcoming that tendency to to keep people at arm's length right um being vulnerable entering into community and friendship during that JVC year and, and since then. And, um, so I guess, was it purely the depressive episode when you were 14 that led to this change of like, I had these great friends and then I started keeping people at arm's length. Or do you realize looking back that even the good friends you had part of that episode, maybe it lacked a certain depth that you understand friendship can have now, or maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I think it was always a pattern Hmm. that I had had. I do think there was something about the stress of that specific situation that like, Hmm. like usually that's kind of how depression works. Like something happens and it kind of creates like pathways. So like it just became easier for me to like enter into those like negative thought patterns. I'm kind of getting my master's in counseling. So kind of using some of that lingo. Sorry. Um, yeah. So I think there was, it was a tendency of mine. After that, it got a lot easier for me to go there, like hmm. start to think that way and spiral. Got it. Um, because of that initial thing. I do think that like me leaning on friends in that situation, I chose the wrong people as a 14 year old, like hmm. to ask for help. Yeah. Um, but of course they weren't able to like provide in the way that I needed them to. And so that I think hmm. did kind of start this like it it introduced this idea that like people are not to be trusted Hmm. Hmm. that's interesting um yeah i was just kind of curious about that because i think a lot of people some of them fully realizing what they're doing some people perhaps not as much definitely keep others at arm's length like i think there's just a lot of things in our culture and a lot of other things that kind of like teach us a sort of like twisted kind of independence you know where like we should i should do my own thing figure my life out take care of myself and not really trust anyone (laughs) and keep Mm -hmm. everybody like at a certain distance um so yeah uh 
Another thing I, I thought of when you told your story was, number one, the power of stickers on water bottles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because who knows what would have happened if you didn't sit sit next to that girl mm-hmm. <laughs> with a, was it a Newman Center sticker or something? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, seriously, though, another thing uh, you said that I thought was pretty striking was, um, how'd you put it? Knowing that you're loved by Jesus forces you to love yourself. Mm-hmm. I think you said that. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. That, I believe that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's pretty striking. Um, I don't know if you want to go into that anymore or t- tell us more about what you what you mean by that. Um, yeah. I think so. You just like dive right into like depression. Mm. It like it has a tendency sort of by definition to like be self-loathing um and so kind of inherently so like that makes it really hard when you know you can know like cognitively the things that help you feel better but that doesn't make it easier to be motivated to do them especially if it's like coupled with this like this like recurring thought of like i'm not i I don't deserve that like i am no good um so yeah i think like sort of like part of that in JVC and, and like in other moments too, but for the sake of like clarity in, in my story, like it, it was the biggest in JVC where like, I don't know what word to use other than like shattered that concept. Hmm. Um, and so because of that, like it, it helped me want to take care of myself, I guess. Hmm. Um, uh, good questions i don't i mean yeah so you're saying like the experience of being loved by other people in a sort of more unconditional way forced you to believe that like that you aren't worth like worthless or is is that kind of what you mean like the love of jesus through other people is that what you're saying i think through through other people in a big way and like after that it was more of like in prayer like okay um, I don't know. I mean, sort of like there were moments of moments of just like realization, mm-hmm. like after eventually, like I had to like pray about it and ask for it, which that was like a big thing. Like mm-hmm. I just like wasn't sort of I was just like, well, if people aren't to be trusted, then God isn't to be trusted. And I shouldn't ask for big things because he probably won't deliver and that will let me down, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. which is like not true. Um, <laughs> So. Yeah. It's almost like it would have just like made it worse. Like you you had this assumption that like things could not be fulfilled and therefore it would be made worse when like the Lord didn't deliver. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I follow what you're saying there. It wasn't a very conscious decision, but like after the fact I realized that that's what I was doing. Yeah. Um but I think both and like it was through other people Mm-hmm. and just sort of this realization i don't know just like sort of a belief like kind of all of a sudden that was like okay i mm-hmm. like i am worthy of taking care of myself mm-hmm. yeah if jesus thinks i'm worthy of his love then yeah i'll go along with it <laughs> right. kind of thing. yeah yeah there was definitely a period where <laughs> yeah. that's what it was like fine i guess like i don't know but <laughs> we'll try mm-hmm. it yeah mm-hmm. interesting um Another question I have, just just more of a curious one. During that, I think you said three-month period of uh, when COVID first hit, and mm-hmm. you're sort of like imbibing all of this head knowledge about the faith. Was there a particular 
book or article or podcast that you remember listening to that had the biggest impact? Um, okay, so I like dove really into like traditional Catholic like approaches. Um, hmm. So Father Chad Ripperger, like hmm. I, I, yeah, um, listen well, to a lot that of That makes his... sense with like counseling and stuff because he's big into like psychology and its connection to the spiritual life, right? He is, yeah. yeah. That's an interesting talk and kind of like how mm -hmm, like the downsides of psychology, which I think is so helpful to like think about. So, mm. yeah, that's worth listening to. Mm. I would recommend that. Um, and also I kind of like had a big focus on Fatima. He I think it's him that did like a 13 hour long. It, there were like 13 episodes that were an hour long, I think, about Fatima. Wow. Um, that was amazing. Mm. Um and Essays on Women by Edith Stein. Hmm. Hmm. Saint Teresa Benedicta. That's awesome. You, yeah. read, you read all of those. I read half of that book okay. and I have not finished it. It was solely like within COVID that hmm. I dove in, like pretty slowly, I would say. They're big hmm. essays. So, Is there one yeah. takeaway that you remember from those? Um, it was really about, I don't know if I want to say this on the podcast. I don't feel like I've fully... <laughs> process this we'll go for it and yeah. i'm happy to have conversations with anyone about it um would love input but it was about um like the she was specifically there was one essay where she's talking about teaching women specifically and just like the differences um and i honestly like i think i would totally misquote it but it was really like worth reading just like how as women we need to be formed in a specific way hmm. um so I think maybe I'll I'll leave it at that. But okay. it was it was very like eye opening. So that was also I wasn't gonna talk about this, but we'll talk about skirts and dresses. I don't know. We'll go, we'll go for it. Um, and so like at that point, I really was just like curious about like femininity and what it what it means for me. Um, and so when I was listening to all of these like more traditional approaches um, to the Catholic faith, one thing that I was listening to talks on modesty. And, like, hearing these arguments for women wearing, like, really traditional clothes, like, only skirts and dresses. And so it was like, why not? I'll give it a try. Like, I just am curious, like, how that would affect, like, my heart as a woman. Like, how am, will I feel differently, like, walking into the grocery store? Um, how much of a challenge would that be? So for a few months, I did it. Um, so kind of like I was, like, reading Edith Stein and, like, trying these, I don't know, really trying to, <laughs> yeah, just exploring it. Was um, was there was there a difference in how you felt? Yeah, I think that there was. Hmm. Um, hmm. It just kind of like reminded me, um, like in every setting, like you just have to like walk. Literally, you have to walk differently in a dress. Hmm. Um, and so I just like was more aware. I I don't normally like walk into stores and feel like disrespected by any means, but I do hmm. think that people, I don't know, there's a different level of like just awareness about femininity amount like and from other people hmm. like when i i feel like that is true like if i'm wearing more like traditionally feminine clothing i don't big fan of jeans in missouri in the winter you know <laughs> um so like i wear pants all the time now but i do i love skirts and dresses like i just feel more in touch with like i don't know i keep hmm. using the word femininity which isn't very descriptive but yeah you're saying you noticed an actual difference in how people treated you? I didn't. Oh, okay. It was more okay. like an internal, I feel Got it. more aware of, yep. like, uh, like one thing that's not just for women by any means, but like 
I tend to pray a lot about gentleness. Like I want to be a gentle person. Mm. I feel better able or like more reminded of Mm. that if I'm wearing a dress for better or worse. Like Mm. that's something I think we're all called to, but um, just little things like that. Yeah. That's an interesting topic. Like if somebody had asked me like 15 years ago when I was in high school, like um, if it made a significant difference for a man to wear like khakis and a, a polo to Walmart versus like, you know, a wife beater and athletic shorts and flip-flops, I would have said, no, like, (laughs) you know, you're in Walmart, but, but it is interesting how like what you wear, even just regardless of like the classification of clothes, like more masculine or feminine or whatever, which is kind of what you're getting into a little bit, but even just the, um, how do I put it? Like the level of, uh, dignity that certain types of clothing lend themselves to like how that affects the person who's wearing them in addition to the people that they encounter in public you know you see all these like old pictures of like 70 years ago and like um men wouldn't go out in public unless they were in like decent clothes like it would it would be it would be unthinkable to run into a man at a store on a saturday you know 80 years ago in like shorts and a, and a t-shirt, <laughs> you know? Um, and just like the, the, how it kind of raises the temperature of like public settings in a good way where like you tend to be, walk differently and kind of bear yourself differently. People treat you differently. You treat other people differently. Like just sort of, um, it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, and something that I've given more thought to recently, um, since we, our culture has just tended more and more to treat people like garbage and all sorts of different ways just how we how we dress in public has an influence on hopefully like reversing (laughs) some of those trends so it's it's interesting uh, just hearing you describe that yeah I think that probably that makes sense like the takeaway was like I don't have to wear dresses all of the time but I can wear like cute jeans and like look put together so like I don't have to walk out in like my workout clothes so there I definitely do notice a a difference like I think Mm -hmm. people treat all of us differently like when we are put together Mm -hmm. yeah there's Mm -hmm. a certain level of dignity so that was kind of my takeaway was like I feel that dignity for myself like when I'm wearing a dress and I also can feel it when I'm wearing cute shoes and mm-hmm. pants and, you know. mm-hmm. yeah yeah I definitely think that's true and like not just feeling differently but like the general dignity it brings about like the days that I like actually take care and consideration to like yeah put myself together before leaving the house I'm usually just in general like more motivated more motivated to be friendly more motivated for the work before me um yeah just more prepared to walk into whatever the day might encounter um I think there's something to be said, too. Like, I know of some young professional friends who work for big corporations or companies that have, like, pretty stringent and traditional dress codes. Um, And I think that I always viewed it through the lens of, like, this company uh, is prideful as a whole, we'll say. But, But now, like, viewing it through this lens, it makes me think, like, no, they're actually just, like, challenging their employees to have virtue and, like, come prepared and and dressed for the day. So that's all around an interesting topic. Um, A nice experiment that you had in COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, For the ladies listening, do you have any uh, fun recommendations for stores for clothes, dresses, and skirts in particular? Well, 
I am on a grad school budget, and so thrift stores are my personal favorite places. We love Poshmark. Um, I was a Ruli girl for a while there, though. Yeah. They're great. Or Piper and Scoot. The classics, you know? Yeah, for sure. Oh, yes. Classics. (laughs) (laughs) This is a whole nother tangent, but there are some... um, really like great modest and trendy stores that are utah based and are owned mm. by like mormon women mormon families um but they have really yeah good trendy um but yet like modest and stylish clothes so we can plug them yeah i love it great moving on um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> um no this is good this is an interesting discussion you guys should have a, a separate episode where you talk all about Women's fashion and and modesty and we can do that. <laughs> that'd be great. Um, Allie, uh, currently, is there any specific thing that you're really kind of focused on in your spiritual life or some particular way you're trying to grow in holiness? Yeah, um, this is not an exciting answer at all, and it's so not <laughs> fancy. But I like I was talking about how I was so motivated, like by emotion, and like God mm. really was like working with me in that. I think, but. Um, Right now, I am just trying to, like, commit to things and do them. Um, <laughs> so that right now looks like daily mass three times a week, praying in the morning, like, pretty specific things, um, uh, committing to time in the chapel, endless, or night prayer. Like, it's pretty regimented and like, just doing it, the things, honestly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's hard for me. So <laughs> It's hard for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I live in... Uh... Living a regular uh, scheduled spiritual life, it's not easy. So Mm-mm. that's great. Um, I think that there's something to be like drawn out there too, that you have one of the more non-traditional or regimented schedules, like piecemealing together your days with grad school and work and yeah, still maintaining a social life with evening classes. And so for you to like still have those like daily touch points with the Lord and like sticking to that routine is admirable and speaks witness to the people that you encounter. Um, so I think, yeah, I just want to draw that out for you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, it is like, because most of my days are not the same, like it helps so much to have like that as a stable, like piece. Like if I, I know that I'm going to the chapel after work every day, mm-hmm. like just having it like build stability into my life, which helps with prayer, I think, because I have to think about other things less like just like, well, I know when it's happening so that I can be more present mm-hmm. in those moments, I guess. Certainly. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Ellie, tell us some some way that you're trying to live uh, on mission right now. Yeah. So I currently am working at Morning Glory Ministries. Um, mm-hmm. It's a ministry of the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, like the Gold Dome downtown. Um, and our like mission statement is to love and serve the the homeless of Kansas City. Um, and so at Morning Glory, we have meals six days a week, and then we do emergency assistance, which is my job. Um, and so that pretty much looks like getting people um, a clean set of clothes and like backpacks, sleeping bags, right now, winter coats, um, like anything to stay warm, like if they're sleeping outside or spending most of their days outside. Um, we get people birth certificates and IDs because those are really easy to lose if you don't have a a safe place to keep them. Things get stolen all the time and also essential for getting a job or getting housing. Um, and so that's kind of like the basics of like what we do. Um, I think it's the coolest and I really love it because I just get to sit down with people who are like often 
in a crisis. Um, but so like, especially like I was talking about how like a lot of my life I was really lonely. Like I was around people, but feeling very alone. That is, I would venture to guess, really common for people who are homeless and who maybe nobody makes eye contact with them in a day. Um, they don't have a lot of conversations. And so I love getting to like be the one that sits down with them. And like I get to hear all kinds of stories and it's a privilege to get to do that. Um, so it's also it's a part of the cathedral. So our goal really is to just like be Jesus um, to them. I don't know. Also, it like works both ways. It's such a happy place to be. Like the guests tend to be happy. The staff's definitely happy. Our volunteers are happy. It's a great place to be. That's awesome. Can you tell us a story of some particular person that you've, you know, were inspired by or that uh, their story was, you know, particularly dramatic or? Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that coming in here. And I was like, what's a happy story I can tell? And like, not a lot came to mind. Um, But I will say like, there can be in the midst of like, really terrible things. Like in my, my opinion, I'm like, okay, you are sleeping outside and you like, I don't know, maybe they're struggling with an addiction. Um, They will come in and say like, I don't know, they're just so nice to me, essentially. Um, Uh... I'm trying to pick like a happy one and like they will leave and be like, God bless you. Um, honestly. Okay. So like today a man came in and was like, can I just have a rosary? Like <laughs> anyways, he just wanted a brown rosary. Um, so, so many, I don't know. So many things like that. Um, well, okay. We have one man, his name is Will. And I think that he would be a okay with me saying that. But um, so he comes most days to breakfast um, and he, Recently, he was around the cathedral. We were closed. We're open in the mornings. It was like later at night. Um, and Will realized that the door to the cathedral was unlocked. And so he went in, locked it from the inside and like figured out how to get out. And then he told my boss the next day, he's like, by the way, the church was open. So I like took care of it, made sure no one was inside. He like went into all the bathroom stalls, like made sure that it was safe, locked up. Um, and so just like so many people are. <laughs> having pretty rough experiences and they there's but they're such a community and they like take care of each other there was another man today who he was supposed to move somewhere but he ended up staying because he wanted to he, there was somebody he needed to take care of in Kansas City and so he was like hanging out at morning glory all day today because he was waiting for someone else and like we'll we'll advocate so like I'll be talking to someone and I'll be like oh you need a pair of gloves and he's like and you need a backpack and he's like they've got this and they've got this so he's just like advocating for everyone around um so many stories I just learned so much about like what it means to take care of other people from them like there's nobody who knows how to like take care of their people better than somebody who has experienced poverty mm-hmm. honestly mm-hmm. well i'm sure that's touching uh yeah and impactful has that changed any particular way that you live in the community that that you're a part of well i feel like i try to just like give i'm much more aware of what i have that i don't need um mm. certain like yeah in moments i'll like not want to do dishes for somebody or little things like that and every once in a while like a guest will like pop up my head and like well (laughs) who am I to whine about this thing or whatever um yeah certainly they inspire me a lot 
Mm-hmm. What a unique opportunity to, yeah, get to to journey alongside them and and work, uh, yeah, morning glory in this phase of your life too, uh, where you're learning so much through grad school. So, yeah, I th- I think you live a fun, unique life. <laughs> it's so fun. I love it a lot. In terms of uh, your desire to go into counseling, Allie, mm-hmm. is there like a specific aspect of counseling? Um, that you're you're most excited to dive into? Ooh. Um, well, I'm really interested in trauma, um, hmm. and I think that kind of stems from, like, my work with – I worked with foster kiddos before working mm-hmm. with people experiencing homelessness now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think there's so much – like, I just want to walk with people who have experienced that so that they can kind of overcome the barriers that are sort of inherent mm. in it. Um, what I've realized is, like, it helps so much to be Christian as a counselor because, like, there's no expectation that I'm going to heal anyone. Um, and so, like, I'm just excited to, like, get to walk with people because obviously like, only one person can heal them. Um, and so, yeah, especially with trauma, we know so much about what, like, what works. Like, there's just, we know more about, like, the nervous system now and, like, specific techniques that are empirically proven to help. Um, so I think that's why I'm kind of a geek about those things. So I'm excited to, like, use what we know to help people mm-hmm. reach their goals, like overcome these painful things mm-hmm. in their lives, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Certainly. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a burgeoning, growing uh, industry, counseling. That's, that's for sure. With the lack of family structures available anymore, where sort of the, what you might call the old school place to get counseling, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents as that kind of stuff disintegrates and just worse and worse kind of like conditions for human growth in our society. Counsel- the need for counseling is definitely growing. So doing good work. We will pray that uh, yeah, you're able to walk with a lot of people and uh, help them through all sorts of things. So mm-hmm. thanks. good. Well, Thank you for coming on the podcast, Allie. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Good. And thank you all for listening to this episode of the City on a Hill podcast. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the City on a Hill podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss another exciting episode or leaving a review, which may help others find the podcast and be inspired on their pursuit of sainthood check out our website at kansascityonahill.org and consider joining us at one of our upcoming events. Be assured of our prayers for you and for all young adults in the Kansas City area. God bless.